Well, good morning. I uh, bring you greetings from the men's retreat. We, uh, I was up there with them yesterday, and we had a wonderful time fellowshipping with God and one another. Be praying for the guys as they come back today, as they're driving down the hill. Now, um, we're continuing our, our series called First Things. And just in case you wonder, today is Lesson 10 out of 14. Okay, just in case some of you wondered if we were going to be going from here all the way to the end of the Bible in one fell swoop. We're going to be, we're in Genesis 1, chapters 1 through 11. So we'll have four more lessons after this, and then we'll move on to something else. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5 today. And when you find that, if you would, please stand with me. If you are able, we stand to honor the Lord and because he has given us his word. And I, it's a great privilege for me to, to be associated with uh, such a wonderful group of people who love God so much and love his word so much. And it really shows. I want you to know that. We're going to read all of chapter 5 today. Genesis 5, starting at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Canaan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Canaan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalalel. Then Canaan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he named, called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, 
and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in it. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in it today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, I used to run a lot. I've mentioned that before. But in the past few years, I've begun to walk a lot more. And I actually love to walk. I've learned to love to walk. For example, this morning, I took my usual Sunday morning walk. What I do is I take my sermon notes, and I, and I go over them, and I pray, and I, it's a wonderful time of, of communing with God for me. And I actually do that often uh, with my notes and go around this neighborhood and my own neighborhood and all over the place. But today we're talking about walking with God. And we're going to explore what it means, but we're also going to see a picture of the first person who is said to have walked with God, Enoch. Now in Genesis 5, we see a genealogy. Now some of you just love genealogies. I happen to love genealogies. I always, you know, I say there's a reason There is a reason that they're there. We must read. And so uh, we're going to see this genealogy, but we're also going to see a contrast between this genealogy, the people in it, and and Cain's offspring, okay? And then we'll also see this example of Enoch who walked with God. So first of all, this exciting genealogy, uh, these 10 generations from Adam to Noah. Now, this genealogy contains 10 paragraphs. And as you noticed, as we read, they're each written in the same form. They have one paragraph each for each generation in Adam's line through Seth. Now, here's the format. You saw it as we read. First the name, then the age, then the birth of a son. Then the years lived after the birth of the son, and then the acknowledgement of other children that were born, and then they died, the, the death. Total lifespan, and then they died. Now, there are two phrases that stand out. The first is, he became the father of. You see that in each one of the paragraphs. What this does is it fulfills, it shows the fulfillment of God's command to be fruitful, to multiply. Now, the other statement is, then he died. And the consequence here, then, of eating the forbidden fruit is seen. God had said in chapter 2, verse 17, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And so all died in Genesis chapter 5, except one, Enoch, which we'll look at later. But life and death is common to all. We see that, we know that in life. And through Adam's transgression, death came upon all. It reigned as the unchangeable law. Now, up against this backdrop of universal death, the power of life is seen to be still greater. The man did not die until after he had propagated, after he had carried on the image and the name. So in the midst of death, as we see it, one after another, and he died, and he died, and he died. In the midst of that, what we see is God preserving the race. The hope of the seed continuing. Uh, by which the author of death would be uh, overpowered. You see, in spite of the judgment of death, God's grace preserved the messianic line. 
even while sin abounded and continued to abound in the earth. Now you'll notice this, this genealogy, and you'll notice that there are ten generations, Adam to Noah. Uh, now genealogies in scriptures serve uh, several purposes and functions. There's different types of genealogies. Among the different types, there are broad genealogies, there are segmented genealogies, there are linear genealogies. Uh, for example, a broad genealogy would be uh, where only the first generation is presented. You see that in Genesis 35, where all the sons of Israel are named, are listed. Uh, then there's a segmented type of genealogy where you would see both depth but breadth as well. Uh, for example, in chapter 10, you see all the descendants of Noah listed, one after another, many, many names much more than today. Uh, Because today what we see in Genesis 5 is a linear genealogy. Now, a linear genealogy would have uh, from 2 to 10 descendants. And what a linear genealogy would do is establish uh, continuity over a period of time uh, without the narrative. For example, can you imagine how long this chapter would be if all the details of their lives or even some of the details of their lives were listed in here. What it does is it, it gives the lineage and without filling in all the gaps. Okay? Now, one thing you don't want to do from a linear genealogy is try to come up with an absolute chronology. Because if you go elsewhere in Scripture, you'll see that some, there's, sometimes there's a little bit of difference in the ages given because this is not meant to establish a linear chronology, but a line. Um, going now here from Adam to Noah. Um, so, what else does a linear genealogy show us? There's another thing it shows and it signifies. These lists were also used to legitimize a person uh, and their role, and even to identify them, uh, connect them as a worthy individual or person. Now, Genesis 5 establishes Noah as Uh, the legitimate descendant of Adam through Seth. And by beginning Noah's lineage with Adam, what you see is, first, they're created in the image of God, um, presenting Noah and his descendants as image bearers, uh, worthy uh, to to follow the instruction to, to rule the earth. Now, it shows God's transmission of his image through a series of firstborn sons. And most importantly, this connection with Seth links Noah with the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent. Again, going back to Genesis 3, verse 15, the promise of a deliverer. Now, we also see a contrast. As you see this genealogy, uh, you see a contrast with the ungodly line of Cain in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And you'll notice if you look at that genealogy, they are completely different in form. Uh, There's not a lot of detail. Just the names. Some of their uh, occupations are listed. Uh, There's uh, Lamech uh, actually singing a song uh, about his his, uh, killing a man for injuring him. Now, there are significant differences in these two genealogies between Seth and between Cain's line. And the central themes of these of these genealogies are very different. And you see them characterized by different things. For example, 
where, where Cain's line is characterized by ungodliness in general, Seth's genealogy is characterized by godliness. Now, you've got to be careful not to confuse people here as well, because in both genealogies, there's an Enoch and a Lamech. Different people. Same names, different people. Uh, the seventh generation of each genealogy marks a high point, or a, actually a point. The height of, un, of, of, uh, of uh, godliness is seen in Seth's uh, line in, in, their, in Enoch, the height of wickedness, or in a sense the depths of wickedness, is seen in Cain's Lamech. Now, Cain's line was self-loving. Seth's line was God-loving. The Lamech in Seth's line looked for deliverance from the curse of the ground. We see that in chapter 5, verse 29, uh, as he names Noah. He says, this one will give us rest or comfort from our work and our labor and our toil. Cain's son, Enoch, has a city named after him. Doesn't seem like such a bad thing, but it's a, in, in the context with which we see it, it's very uh, self-centered. Uh, also, uh, Seth's son, Enosh, calls on the name of the Lord. If you go back to chapter 4, you look at verse 25, you see that uh, Adam and Eve had another son, Seth. At, uh, Eve says, God has given me another offspring in place of the one... Um, of, that Abel, that uh, Cain had killed. And then it says they called him, uh, that Seth had a son and they called him Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord in 426. They invoked the name of God. They went to God literally in prayer. Since that's the first time we see people praying uh, to God. Now there's something else about Cain's line. It's characterized by the curse. Seth's line characterized by the promise. Lamech in Cain's line sought to uh, be his own judge and jury. And he was characterized by revenge. He sings this song. He tells his wives. He says, you need to listen to me. Uh, you need to give heed to my speech. I have killed a man for wounding me. I have killed a boy for striking me. And on the other hand, you've got the other Lamech in Seth's line who's looking for this deliverance from the curse. Again, naming Noah. That's a prophecy. And this one will give us rest. This one will give us comfort. This one will deliver us. Noah fulfilled that. Now in Cain's line, you see a murderer giving birth to another murderer. Where in Seth's line, you see the founder of humanity linked with its refounder. You see Adam linked with Noah. Now Enoch, the seventh in Seth's line, walked with God. In contrast with the seventh in Cain's line, Lamech, who was a bigamist, a murderer, who literally sung, uh, wrote a poem about his violence. So what you see, uh, kind of on the, the, the base level here, is you see Cain's line being uh, distinguished by violence and despair. You see Seth's line distinguished by righteousness and, and hope. Now, the line of Cain begins with a city builder. And ends with three sons who carry God's image as makers of culture. They are shepherds and musicians and smiths, even a poet, Lamech. But unlike the line of Seth, they are not characterized by necessarily long life or full lifespans. Uh, they and their culture become too wicked to survive the flood, as we will see next week. In contrast, the bearers of Adam's image, uh, they are culture makers pleasing to God. They're known for their long and their full lives. They're not known for what they could do. 
Isn't it interesting that Cain's line was known for what they could do. Seth's line was known for who they followed and the type of life they lived. Cain's line leads to judgment. Seth's line leads to salvation. Now, what we see in Seth's line is is a huge example. We see Enoch's life. If you've read through this chapter before, you probably camp out on Enoch because there's something in Enoch that we can get our hands around, we can understand, we we can grasp it a little bit more than just a straight genealogy. Now, Enoch's name means to be dedicated. And the description of Enoch highlights his righteousness. He is listed seventh. It's a position that is very uh, favorable in biblical genealogies. He's a symbol of the covenant strength of this line. Now, there's something different, and we notice it right away about Enoch. Instead of the line, and he lived a certain number of years, it says he walked with God. And instead of the line, and he died, we read, and he was not, for God took him. This describes a sudden and mysterious disappearance. He was gone. No one but God and he knew where he was. He was gone. I don't know if they sent out a search party for Enoch or what, but he was taken, carried away by God in a miraculous way all of a sudden. Now, of all the recorded Old Testament saints, only Enoch and Elijah didn't suffer physical death. They were taken up by God alive, in a sense, glorified immediately. Now, this term took him is different than the idea of taking the life of someone, which refers to an untimely death. It's different from uh, to take from, which would be the idea of uh, depriving someone of their life. Basically, Enoch was raptured by God. Uh, Now, like Elijah, he was taken from the earth by God, carried into paradise, not experiencing physical death. It says that he walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? That's not that uncommon of a phrase for us to think about the idea of walking with God. But I must point out that walking with God was a very rare Old Testament expression. It was not common. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's only used three times. It's used here in chapter 5 and verse 22. It's used in the next chapter, in chapter 6, verse 9, about Noah. And then it's also used in Malachi. The only times we see this phrase, that they walked with God. Now, walking with God... I think at first glance, most of us would say, well, it means to, you know, walk close to God or to, to live a godly life or to live a holy life or be pious or something like this. But it, it really, it doesn't merely mean to live a, a, a godly, righteous type of a life. What it means is, it means to enjoy supernatural, intimate fellowship with God. Supernatural, intimate fellowship with God. It's the closest communion a person can have with God. Walking, you know, side by side with him. It's different from the idea of walking before God. In in Genesis 17, 1, God said to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. God also instructed people to walk after him. 
Now, both of those phrases indicate a life that is blameless in obedience to God's directions. But that's not the, uh, the, the general idea of this term, walk, that, they, that Enoch walked with God. Now, the only other phrase, the only other time this phrase is used in the Old Testament is in Malachi. So turn with, there with me, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. The context is God is speaking to the priests of Israel. He's actually disciplining them. He's chastising them. He's rebuking them for not following his instructions. And he speaks of Levi. Now, when we think of Enoch, yeah, he walked with God. We think of Noah, he walked with God. I don't know how often you've thought of Levi as someone who walked with God. But listen to what God says about him in uh, Malachi 2, 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Interesting. Here God is describing Levi and, and the Levitical priesthood in the context of a judgment against them for not following what God had said they ought to follow. But the interesting thing about this is the priests stood closer to God than any other humans of their time. They were allowed by God to enter the holy place. They were allowed by God, privileged by God to have direct interaction with God himself. But here's the thing about the Levites. They were set apart by God for a task. They were chosen by him to fulfill a, a holy work. But they were not chosen by reason of merit. No merit of their own. They were chosen by God's sovereign grace. They were chosen and allowed to experience this intimate a supernatural fellowship with God because of who God is, which gives me hope. It gives us hope. Um, so how can we enjoy supernatural, intimate fellowship with God? What characterizes this idea of walking with God? I want to point out three things here. The first is living by faith. Living by faith. Cain's descendants did not. Seth's did. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 5, gives us a look into Enoch's heart. It tells us the foundation of his walk with God. Hebrews eleven five 5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Now, Enoch lived in an ungodly age, and he lived by faith. He lived in a, in a time when people were doing what was right in their own eyes. He lived at a time when people were classified as wicked. In fact, we'll see next week, it got so bad, God decided to destroy all but eight people. He lived in an ungodly age by faith. So can we. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, this morning it was really foggy, if any of you got up early. 
uh, you know that. It was foggy, and if you were driving, watch out. I drove as fast today on the way to church as I usually do. It was fun. (laughs) But I also, as I was taking my walk, noticed uh, that it was a little bit harder to see the page early this morning because of the fog, and the paper started getting a little damp. Now, I've been known to walk into poles while I have my notes with me. You know, I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, where did that pole come from? Why did they put it right there in the middle of the sidewalk? But isn't it interesting? Sometimes we're so focused on what is right in front of us or what's in our hands that we can't see something just down the road. Just like when it's foggy. We walk by faith, not by sight. Isn't that interesting? I often walk by sight, not by faith. Now, what would that mean for us? I think that would mean that we would pray. Just like those people that began to call upon the name of the Lord, that we would pray expecting to experience the power of God. When was the last time you prayed and you witnessed God do something that could not be done humanly? That there would be no way that that would happen unless God did it. When was the last time? We're called to walk in newness of life. We are called to walk by the Spirit, to walk in love, to walk as children of light. And by faith, that means intentionally attending to the things of God. Now, we all know how often, I know how often I get diverted from that idea. But it's the idea of acknowledging God, living by faith, intentionally attending to him. Secondly, living a life that pleases God, and it's connected to the first. What about Enoch pleased God? What was it? Was it the fact that he was really holy? Was it that he was righteous amidst this ungodly age? What was it? We see it in the second half of Hebrews 11.5. It says that before he was taken, he had this testimony. That he pleased God. What pleased God? His faith. By faith, he was taken so that he would not see death. He lived by faith, therefore he pleased God. We see that in Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And we cannot walk with God or walk by faith, uh, walk by God, excuse me, walk with God or please God without faith. It's not possible. Now think about Enoch's son. His name was Methuselah. We know him as the oldest man that ever lived. Interesting that uh, Jared, he only beat Jared by seven years. Jared, you know, gets, gets the short end of the stick on that one. Um, 962 to 969. I mean, it's pretty close, okay? Um, but think about Methuselah's name. Methuselah's name means when he is dead, it will come. When he is dead, it will come. What will come? Well, at the birth of Methuselah, Enoch had some special awareness from God that judgment was coming. That was one of the things that got him to walk closer with God. See, it said after the birth of Methuselah, he walked with God for 300 years. It seems to be that he started walking with God after the birth of Methuselah. 
2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to God. You know, he says, look, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. He says he'd rather be there. He'd rather be with the Lord. 1 John 1 speaks about walking in the light as he is in the light. And if we do that, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. You see, walking with God, it, it indicates a movement in a certain direction. Walking, you're going somewhere. So walking with God is we are moving in direction the way that God intends, as God leads. See, there is a, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is the way of death. This is the idea of following um, and endeavoring to please our Heavenly Father. Not trusting and obeying to gain more acceptance, but to honor Him. To do what pleases our Father. Like a child wants to please their Father. The last thing I want to point out about walking with God is that it, 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 it has the, as its idea living in agreement with God. Living in agreement with God. That Enoch walked with God a long time, and 300 years is a long time. It's interesting, he only, lived three, he only lived 365 years. Relatively short for his contemporaries. But, but what this shows in terms of 300 years of walking with God is consistency, constancy, faithfulness. God's faithfulness and his own faithfulness. Agreement also signifies reconciliation. That all is right. Amos uh, chapter 3 verse 3 says, Can two walk together unless they're in agreement? What would we be in agreement with God about? Well, how about agreeing with our sin? How about agreeing regarding his free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ? How about agreeing with his word and what it says and agreeing with his ways? Literally, it's the idea of cooperating with God according to who he made us to be. Allowing God to lead the way, not resisting, but delighting to walk as he intends and as he directs. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians for a moment. I want to show you a passage that is often, and rightly so, often applied in the marriage context. But interestingly, it's found in context of Paul speaking of the ministry of reconciliation that they had been given as ambassadors for Christ, uh, as Christ uh, who changes lives uh, enlists them in his service. 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 14. The phrase will sound familiar. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And then listen to what God says. Just as God said, quoting from the Old Testament, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Well, Jesus dwells in believers and walks with us. So it points to the idea of being steady and faithful people who know God and who are getting to know him better daily. And, and the idea of denying ourselves and living to God and separating from appearance of evil. 
In fact, it says, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Walking with God is based upon what God has done. And also, what we respond with. A.W. Tozier kind of hit upon the idea of the heart of walking with God in his book, The Pursuit of God. He talks about prevenient grace, which basically says that before we can seek God, God had to first seek us. And that before a sinful human can think a right thought about God, God must have done a work in them to think that thought. And that the secret cause of all desiring and seeking and praying which may follow is God's prevenient drawing of us to himself. And that we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us onto that pursuit. Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the idea here is that by this very drawing, all the credit for coming to God is taken away. Um, that the impulse to pursue God originates with him, but the outworking of that impulse is us following hard after God, us pursuing God. It's this idea that God upholds us and we follow, and there's no contradiction between the two. The idea is that God is always previous and that in practice then, as Tozier says, God, where God's previous working meets man's present response, man must pursue God. On our part, there must be positive reciprocation if the secret drawing of God is to eventuate in identifiable experience of the divine. What we see in the Psalms, in Psalm 42, very personal, very, very feeling-oriented words, as the deer longs for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, I want you to go one more place uh, as we're closing this up now. Jude. You know, in Jude, we find something out about Enoch that we don't find out in the Old Testament. We find out that Enoch was a prophet. In Jude, verse 14, in the context of speaking about people who are hidden reefs, clouds without water, Trees without fruit, wild waves, wandering stars, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And then verse 14, Jude. It was about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He proclaimed the Lord coming in judgment and denounced the unrighteousness of his culture. The hope of the people in Enoch's time was of a deliverer to come. He lived right before the flood which was God's judgment on the ungodliness of that time. In less than 30 words here, Enoch uses the word ungodly four times. Not a real popular preaching theme nowadays, by the way. 
But the history of that period bears witness to Enoch's son's name, Methuselah. See, remember his name means when he dies, it shall come. As long as Methuselah lived, God withheld the judgment against the sin of the, of the age. You see, there is judgment here, but over that is God's grace and God's mercy. See, God's grace is seen in Methuselah's name and his life. His long life was no accident. The fact that he lived 969 years is because of the grace of God. When Methuselah died, the flood came. See, God kept him alive longer than any other person who's ever lived. Why? To give people as long as possible to repent. To give them a time to turn to God. Now, what could Enoch see from his vantage point? He saw the second coming of Jesus. He saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, walking with God is supernatural. It's, it's intimate fellowship with him. And it's initiated by God, and it, it, it leads to intimate fellowship as we respond to him in faith. But Enoch's life shows that those who walk with God will experience life, not death, as the last word. Although long life is also a sign, uh, all, all, um, often, excuse me, often a sign of divine blessing, living a long life. Here, Enoch is blessed by God by being taken early. Uh, relatively early compared to his contemporaries, especially his son Methuselah. But this shows that being in God's presence is even greater than a long life. See, God who appointed the wages of sin as death, through Christ has given us victory over death. Now his power to glorify an Enoch and an Elijah without seeing death points to our future hope as believers at the coming of Jesus. See, this genealogy points us to Jesus. Enoch means dedicated. Methuselah, it will come. Noah, the comforter, the deliverer. In Enoch's life, we see Jesus' promise to all who will walk with him by faith. Jesus said in, in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, there might be some of you, as you think about walking with God, who are tempted to walk away. You're tempted to walk away and keep on walking. But God wants us to keep walking with him. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Where has God called you to walk with him? It could be in joy. It might be in sorrow. It might be in the valley of the shadow of death. Wherever God has called you to walk with him, go in his strength. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that we can come to you in faith. We thank you, Lord God. That our walking with you is not dependent upon us. That's good news for us. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus. We need you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, please stand with me. I'm going to read you a verse in Jude, two verses at the end of Jude, as we're dismissed today. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. God bless you. Have a great day.